she's your queen to be. So, what got me this week was what happened. What I happened? did you see that? What went on? <laughs> Picture. What went on? Come on. You, they can hear that clapping. Anyway, so one thing that happened this week was there's this picture of Obama that's been going viral of him like on a hang glider or something. It says inspiring. This man quit his six-figure job to pursue his dream of not giving a fuck. (laughs) I thought that was hilarious. What do you think about Obama really not giving a fuck? Why should he? He's off. He's done his time. It's like being in jail. He served his time, okay? He was in jail, though. Yeah, Dude, being the presidency is like being in jail in some ways. Yeah, but you see the smile though. It's like, how would you feel? How like many he needs people to come back and fix the situation that's going look, on? How many times has he heard Obama's tearing apart America? <laughs> Obama's destroying our country. Obama's a socialist. Now, they now he's like, yep, <laughs> peace. I'm skydiving. I'm at the beach. He's and doing so. I don't know what he's doing. White people sports. shit. He got too much free time. That's when you know you got too much free time. You doing white people shit. He's having a blast, and I, I, I can honestly commend him. He's doing a, he's, he's, uh, he's really not, doesn't care. Why should he? He's been president for eight years. He tried to help Hillary be president. They blew it. Hillary wasn't trying to be great. Actually, no, she won the popular vote. Let's stop that. She won the popular vote. She just got, it got rigged. By it's not rigged. I mean, let's get over it. Trump is president. You can't go back and rewrite history. You're right. It's President Donald. Look, that man won fair and square because he did what Hillary Clinton didn't do. He went out to the places where Obama won out there in middle America, and he went and campaigned and asked the people to vote for him. She didn't show up, and that's where he won by, and that's where he became president because he showed up. Speaking of Russia, though, so right now you're telling me that as of today, they're finding out that our Secretary of Defense this guy, General, former General Michael Flynn. He did what now? They're saying that he was in discussions with the Russian uh, ambassador to the U.S. about how he they shouldn't retaliate with the sanctions Obama's putting on them because when Trump is president, they may go away. Wink, wink. But he didn't tell Trump and Pence that he had discussions with Russia. Yeah, apparently he, t- he told the media he never had discussions with them about sanctions. He told Pence he didn't have discussions with them about sanctions. Now it's turning out that might not be true. So he lied. So what, yep. what are the repercussions? If it was me, he got to go. <laughs> but it's not you. you think it's Trump not. I don't know because he values loyalty. And uh, this guy was one of his earliest people. He was with him when no one thought he had a chance of winning. And I don't think Trump is the kind of guy to kick a guy to the curb who's given him support from the beginning. So he's probably going to be there. So another big thing that happened this week was um, Betsy DeVos. How do you pronounce her name? DeVos? DeVos? DeVos, I think. Betsy DeVos Mm -hmm. is the new Secretary of Education. And um, people pretty much think she's going to mess up uh, public school education because she doesn't believe in uh, charter schools. She believes in charter uh, charter schools schools and giving public money to private institutions that, in her opinion, do better. Uh, So, and we actually talked about this because we were talking about what some of the advantages are and, you know, kind of some of the whys behind her thinking. And um, I guess you were saying that it kind of helps out the middle class because – 
what she's doing for middle class people who maybe so to put their kids in private school or for people who don't really benefit from public schools um they'll in turn get some of their money back because you know that people who own their own homes uh their property taxes pretty much 90 80 percent of it goes towards the local school so if your kid doesn't go to that school um you're pretty much not reaping any benefit from that uh property tax or that tax money going to that particular school and you're still coming out of pocket for a private school for your child so what this does in turn is it uh, kind of shifts some of them funds that would otherwise go to public schools uh, you get a little voucher that you could potentially use at your child's private school or charter school or whatever but we also know that I guess for, for the charter schools and some of the private schools when you do get these funds you, you do ha- there's, there's a matching element to it so because one of my questions was, if, if everyone took their kids out of public school, wouldn't there then be a problem with private schools being overcrowded and overworked and all that stuff? But from what I understand is that uh, you'll get money to put your kids in these schools, but there's also a matching element. And so some poor families, the problem is poor families wouldn't be able to afford that matching element for these police charter schools. Is it wrong for me to be taking a bite of some uh, apple cobbler? Blueberry cobbler. I don't care. It's good cop. It's a date night podcasting session. Friday night. Got some wine and vegan blueberry cobbler. This is when your wife holds you hostage and bribes you with dessert and alcohol so that you will get on the podcast. (laughs) Because you've been acting real shady lately (laughs) talking about you weren't getting paid for your services. I needed to renegotiate my labor contract. (laughs) I am all for workers' rights. I am a union of one. Why don't you tell us about your thoughts about Betsy DeVos and her philosophy? Look, I think the biggest thing is I don't know where she stands, what plan she has, what's in her head. I I understand the argument for people who want to um, give vouchers for public education or give tax credits for, uh, you know, sending your kids to private school. And in some ways, it's an argument that makes sense. If public schools are funded by our property taxes of the homeowners in the area, then, um, you know, if I pay into that system, I should be getting some type of benefit. But what happens if I choose to take my kids to a private school? Well, now I'm paying property taxes into the public school system, but I'm not getting any benefit. I'm actually being taxed on the dollars that I use to spend towards my child's education. So if you are, you know, a parent who pays out of pocket to send your kids to school, you're actually kind of paying a tax for a benefit that you never receive. So in that respect, I can understand the argument coming from the other side that, you know, we need to give school choice. Also, when they make the argument that, um, you know, there are schools in bad neighborhoods or bad areas, and because a lot of the schools you're restricted by zoning as to where you live, which school you can attend, it also limits your choices. And sometimes those vouchers may be a way to get your kid out of the bad schools and into a better school. But then you get some of the counter arguments, like with the um, tax argument, It's that, you know, hey, the public school system is there for all of us, whether we take advantage of it or we don't. 
and me by, by myself being like a product of the public school system, it's like, yes, you can go to public schools, get a great education and make a great life, a great career for yourself, regardless of whether, you know, you go to private school or public school. And that's because if the county puts the resources or your state or city puts the resources into those local schools, you can excel and do well there. And for most people who don't have the funds to send their kid to a private school, it's an alternative. But as everything in this country, it has to be a collective process because if we only let the people who use that system pay, then it'll be too costly, it'll be too hard to maintain, which is why collectively we all pay into the system. Even if you don't use it. Even it's if funny, you don't use we're it. We're talking about zoning and stuff like that. We just found out that one of the better schools in our neighborhood, we don't, we can't. So we, our county has this thing where if your child care provider lives in maybe like the better neighborhood, your child can use that address to go to that school. And we just found out that because this neighborhood and this area is growing, we don't have that option anymore. Like my cousin lives in the better school kind of zone. And our plan was to use, you know, for next year, we're talking about putting our kids in public school and kind of supplementing with our own stuff at home and on weekends and stuff like that. Um, because we've done homeschooling, now we've done private school, um, and we're talking about trying out public school as well, so just to see, like, compare apples to apples, um, or just be better informed with, with our decision. And we don't have that option of, of getting Ellie into the school that we want, the public school that we want, that's supposedly quote-unquote better in the neighborhood. And which leads me to my point, and that's this whole zoning for schools is, is a trap, really. And we read about this. Uh, and Elizabeth Warren's book. Um, oh, yeah, that's another thing that happened this, this week. Elizabeth Warren was barred from speaking Jeff Sessions. Yes, she was. <laughs> um, um, thing. But, uh, and he got confirmed anyway. Um, but Elizabeth Warren wrote a book called The Two-Income Trap. And she was talking about how what makes America um, pretty much a two-income household, and that's what makes it a necessity to be a two-income household in America is schools. And that's because schools kind of dictate how expensive an area is going to be. So if you have a better school, the houses in that area are instantaneously, they, they shoot up. They cost more. And in order to kind of live in, in that neighborhood, even if you pick the smallest house in that neighborhood, it still costs a grip. So you end up having to have two parents working to afford that more expensive home in that better school district. Yeah. Now, I mean, could you imagine if that was no longer the case? You could actually you know cut your coat according to your size as my old math teacher used to say in ghana and live in a you know in a more affordable neighborhood but still you know if you wanted to bust your kids over or drive your kids over to the better neighborhood school yeah i mean because what she was pointing out or what her research showed was that when they looked at one of the top reasons why families were filing bankruptcy or ending up in bankruptcy it became um, the fact that by having two incomes where they had more money coming in, they were actually increases their, increasing their chances of actually going bankrupt. And the reason being is that in the 50s, 60s or so, when you had the big rise in the middle class, most of the uh, households were like one income households where maybe the husband would work, they'd have a pension, and the wife would stay at home, do the kids, the housework that sort of thing. 
And if the husband were, we're to lose his job. we're not looking to go back to that time. We're, let's just put it that way. We're not looking to go back to leave it the beaver time. Are we? No. Hey, listen. <laughs> no. We're liberated, man. Women can work. You can live out your dream, whether it's to work, start your own business, or do whatever. I have two little girls. I mean, there's going to be no restrictions on what they can do. Just as long as you have the choice to do what you what want you to do. do. And if staying home is an option for you and you want that's something that you want to do, I, I, I made that decision. And it's one of the best decisions I made. Yeah, but I think what she was saying was it was it's not really so much about the other one staying home, but because all of their expenses were supported by only one income, if the main breadwinner were to lose their job, right, the spouse could go and get a job and supplement that income till the breadwinner could get back on their feet. And in that way, it would help them weather any bouts of, uh, you know, job loss or anything like that financially. But what happened is, though, now, because everyone is living off of both incomes, it takes both breadwinners' incomes to live, to buy a home, then if either of you loses your job or goes into financial trouble, there's no one there to pick up the slack. You have no backup plan. And really, they found that the number one reason that people were moving into these more expensive neighborhoods was access to schools, because the neighborhoods with the best schools are in the richest. And so if we're both making, you know, 50000 a year, we're at 100000 we could buy a house in an affordable neighborhood where maybe we could live off of one income and save the other, right? But instead... We're going to take all of that money, take out a big loan to get a house in a better neighborhood so that our kids can have access to better schools. And even to just take you on another book, there's another book called The Millionaire Next Door. We did a, we did a video on that where you started Years ago. shenanigans. But what he pointed out, which is very related, is when they looked at the people who were millionaires and where they lived, they lived in low cost areas. So they weren't living in the five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar homes. They were living in the same areas with the working class individuals because a lot of them were business owners working in small businesses for themselves. So they were living in places where if I live in a six hundred thousand dollar home and I have a beat up old Honda with a dent in the side and some bullet holes in it. People are going to call the cops every time they see me. I don't feel like I belong. So to keep up with the neighborhood, I'm going to buy a nice car. Maybe I'm going to buy me a Benz or BMW. If I live in a regular working class neighborhood and I have something like that, I kind of stand out. So I can fit in with the neighborhood. I could buy a car that costs less. I could spend less on my home and things and save more of the money. And I think kind of it's the same way. If you're able to, you don't have to have one spouse stay at home. But if you're able to fix your finances in such a way where you can support the family off of one income or the majority of one income and save the rest, it gives you way more opportunities than if you both have to spend every dollar, both of you work and live paycheck to paycheck, just trying to make ends meet, or then you're limited. Or trying to pay for private school. So yeah, or <laughs> pay for private school. Hey. So with, what, with what's going on right now, let's tie it back to you. Um, education we've homeschooled we've done private school right now we're deciding whether or not we want to do public school and i guess some of the advantages and disadvantages of all of these options are at the forefront of our minds right now because we have to make this decision next year we both agree that when it comes to education parental involvement is what's key to 
building resilient, smart, clever kids, um, self-sufficient kids. And that's something that we take really, really seriously. But I also believe that there, that the school environment plays a really large part in how a child develops because the child, just like work, when you go to work from 8 to 6 p.m. or 5 p.m., you're around the, those people more than you are around with your kids. And these kids go to school from 8 o'clock in the morning to pretty much almost 4 o'clock in the evening. They're around the same kids, the same teachers for most of the day. So what exposures are they getting? And is paying for a private school education where you feel like you're going to get more bang for your buck, or at least you hope you do, um, is that a better option than um, sending your kids off to public school these days, especially with the changes that are hopefully not going to be too drastic coming down the pipeline? I think from what I think personally, it's, I think people kind of conflate going to a private school with getting a good education, and I don't think that's always necessarily the case because no matter how good the school is or its reputation, I think everything always comes down to individual teachers. And no matter how great the school is, there are going to be some teachers who teach in a way where maybe it doesn't fit your learning style or who think, like, you should get it and not really go into detail. It's just like college. You'll be some teachers there who who are great, who you get, some teachers who are easy, and some teachers who actually teach you something so you learn. And I think you have that whether it's at public school or private school. But unlike college, though, college, you test to get in. There's a baseline of what you're going into with college. So when you take that SAT or ACT, there's a certain expectation that you can write, that you can read, that you can make a cogn- uh, an argument on paper, that you can do certain things. And so you're pretty much all starting from a baseline, hopefully. But with, for me, I guess the biggest thing is I separate education into two. There's you know the skills building time and then there's the content giving time. And it's like from grades, ki- from kindergarten to grade four, you're, you're really, it's all about skills. And these basic skills of reading, writing, arithmetic, multiplication, division, all that stuff is what's going to uh, propel you or inform uh, your learning after that. After that, it's all pretty much content. And that's what I'm interested in, making sure the kids have the right content. Like, what are we filling their heads with? And I feel like to compare it to college is a bit difficult because, like I said, you're all starting from a baseline, a standard. But with elementary school, you're getting lots of different um, kinds of learners. And when you have 20, 25 kids in a classroom and they're all at a different ability and they're n- none of them are independent enough to, 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 to take, you know, to kind of do their own research or know where to find the information if they're not getting it from their classrooms. I guess to be honest, I think all of that comes down again to what you teach your kids at home. And even with the foundational stuff, because, I mean, you take Elia Aldis, for example, we did a first grade curriculum with her homeschooling when she was supposed to be in the kindergarten. She's in first grade now, but the math she's doing is below what we were teaching her when we homeschooled her. Like, she, we're doing double-digit addition, triple-digit addition. They're still on, like, four plus three, four plus five. So... It's like the foundation she's gotten at home is better than what she's getting at school 
even though we're paying for it. And I think the same can be applied to any private school. Parents assume because you go there, your kids are getting a great foundation. Yeah, and that's the folly of that, of private school. Yeah. Let's, let's be, I, I agree with that. People put their kids in private school with the hopes and the expectations that they're getting a little bit more attention, that they are learning at a faster pace. Um, and that's only because with private schools, they, c- they can be choosy. They can say, we want this kid and that kid, or this kid's doing well, or they'll interview those kids and stuff like that. So there's an expectation that the kids are, that are in that class are of the same background, the same um, uh, intellectual ability, um, and are you know on par. So they're learning at a faster pace. They're, they're you know kids that get it and stuff like that, as opposed to um, you know public school where by law you have to there's you can't exclude certain kids. And I think that's the, some of the argument with charter schools too is that the only reason why their results are so much better is because they can choose the kids that come into those schools. Actually, I saw an article about um, the city of Detroit, uh, actually a, a news clip about it, where they're saying that the charter schools were actually doing worse than the public schools. Why is that? Because there's actually, with the public schools, though we can say the standards may not always be great or the same, there's a certain standards and requirements that all public schools have to meet. Mm-hmm. There's no such requirements for the charter schools. So they schools. weren't doing like No Child Left Behind and Common Core and all that stuff? No, because they don't have to. That's public school requirements. Yeah, but if you're going to get government vouchers, you should be able, you're still well, healthy. That's, that's part of the argument, right? And that actually was something that they questioned DeVos on during her hearing whether if the schools were getting public vouchers, would they still have to meet those same requirements? And she wouldn't commit to that because that that's a key. I, I can say I can open up my private school today, get my certification, teach your kids crap. Right. <laughs> the thing is, what do you do? Like your kid is there. They're getting coming home. If your kid, let's be realistic. If you're there, right, your kid is coming home with A's and B's on their report card you're not really going to be looking in detail at what they're learning and stuff. It won't be till they get to another environment and maybe they're struggling that you may find out they didn't get a good foundation. Like even uh, like our kids, when they come home, I look at their homework packets and sometimes I like, Oh man, is this what they're doing in class? Like she'll do her homework. I'll watch her do it. And that's the same reason why I go grab the math book and be like, here, do these extra math problems. Cause what she's doing is not, up to her capability right now. Like she should be doing more detailed stuff. And this is a, you know, a private school with small classes where they can get individual attention and and where they should be teaching them more, but there's still a curriculum they all have to follow, whether public or private. And they're going to move along with that curriculum and what it says they should be doing. And, you know, it could be good or bad, but one of the things with the standardized testing and everything was at least, you know, there was a certain level of achievement every kid had to get to. Now, true, there are some follies with that downfalls with the schools not necessarily teaching them other things, trying to hit those yeah, achievement yeah, marks. Yeah. But there was a certain baseline you're guaranteed that your kid knows how to do if they're able to complete this. You don't have those same requirements in charter schools and some of the private schools. And realistically, especially when you get to some of the religious private schools, yeah, that's you don't have those requirements at all either. And that's one thing I've heard that she's a big proponent for um, religious schools getting and actually getting federal money to go fund religious schools. Interesting. 
which has always been a big debate because, you know, once you take federal money, you got to follow federal rules. And a lot of, you know, some of the religious schools will see that as it's an infringement on, you yeah, know, our religious practice. But, you know, that goes out the window once you take government dollars. Yeah. I pay you, you owe me. <laughs> That's how it goes. We haven't made our decision yet as whether our kids are going to go. I mean, my big thing is that we're already having a problem with private school being too slow for this kid. I'm concerned that public school is going to – and I, I – I haven't tried it, so I can't even really knock yeah. it. And one but, thing is, maybe we need to have them tested because if it's too slow, maybe she needs to be moved up. Yeah, but that's that's a no-go. Why is it a no-go? I don't want her to be the youngest kid in her class. But that's the thing, though. That's a confidence if, thing. But, but what we also have is a learning thing because if she gets bored and thinks school is easy right now, what is her incentive to try later? Yeah, but there's some like physical, cognitive abilities that eight-year-olds have that seven-year-olds don't that's, yeah that's but so i think i think each kid is different and you have to take them like that yeah there might be differences between seven to eight-year-olds but you know a kid's pretty mature and if she understands it and she can that's move where the it. problem lies because you're like oh our kid's mature she's mature oh she needs to test out and she gets there it's like it's too hard i mean that's a real thing yeah no it could be but then again i guess that's why you work with them because now it's easy and what I realize, the mistakes she makes on homework is not because it's hard, but it's because it's so easy she doesn't pay attention. And then when she's like, oh, it was so easy. I don't know why I missed it. <laughs> like, because you ain't read, read the question. But it's because it's easy. And because of it, she could zone out. She doesn't have to try. Like, I'd rather her do easy and then come home and get some hard work than her do hard work at home at school and then have to come home to do extra hard work and just be hampered down with all that but hard work. no but if she's doing extra hard work at school i think that's where the parents come in then what we do is we don't give her extra extra hard work when she gets home we help her with the work she's already doing so she can get it yeah i mean if she's getting it i'm saying if she's yeah. getting it and it's easy i mean yeah she's getting it it's easy because a, a bored child is worse than a child who doesn't get it because then you miss out on stuff just because you're bored. Lots of times, a lot of those kids you see act out, do crazy stuff. It's because they're bored. They're not being challenged. There's nothing to keep them engaged during class during the day. Now, Olivia, Olivia got to stay in private school. Oh, no. <laughs> she, she, she's, uh, actually, she's starting to remind me of myself. She's, she has a dual personality. There's the home Olivia. There's a the school Olivia. We ran into her teacher at Sweet Frog getting ice cream. <laughs> Ollie was coloring. She was loud. And her teacher's like, I've never heard her speak that loud before. I'm like, really? She's the loudest one in the house? She's like, no, I usually have to say, you know, speak up, Olivia. I can't hear you. You know, speak up when she has to explain stuff in class. And I asked her, I said, Olivia, why? She's like, daddy. <laughs> I don't want to talk in front of the class. <laughs> get out of here like she's a character i worry about her but then it's also part of it is it's her age she, she but she's a young one too she's young she's i mean young. look she's young for her class she's very bright she picks up things fast but she's at the phase where everything is a joke i thought my baby didn't know her abcs i was having a fit like she i, I call i call clarissa i said look our kid is four she doesn't know the letter T. 
She says she doesn't know T. She doesn't know A. And she's like, we work with her. I was like, I don't know what we've been doing, but she doesn't know it. We need to do something different. But it's always the last kid. The last kid's always like, yeah. with Ellie, I put no, no. my all. My but turn out, soul. she knows all the letters. She knows the sounds they make. She knows part of the sight words. All is, but she won't show you she knows unless it's in her best interest <laughs> yeah. at the time. She's very self-interested. It became a game. I started throwing some cards on the floor and it's like, find me a T. Is it this one, Daddy? How you know that's the letter T? Because it's T. It goes T. <laughs> I was like, motherfucker, I'll slap you, girl. All of a sudden, you know, every damn letter in alphabet, what sounds they make and everything, capital and lowercase, and the words on the card. You didn't even know your ABCs 10 minutes she's, earlier. She's very self-interested. You definitely have to play to her, her what she's going to get out of the equation when you're talking to Olivia. So that's going to be a very interesting one to raise. Um, Ellie was really easy. She's, she's really quick. She get she gets it. She she was really she's a really easy kid to to teach. Olivia, I don't I don't know, I don't know. But anyway, is that all you have to say about education? Look, I just tell you, I was talking to uh, owner of my company today. We were ma- meeting to go do a, a pitch for a proposal, and I was telling him, yeah, we're trying to figure out this private school thing, and he was like, yeah, how, how much is your tuition? We talked about it's like. And he's like, shoot, that's like a mortgage payment. <laughs> you might as well send him to private school. <laughs> he's like, you know, it's a cheap private school, but hey, shoot, if you're going to supplement at home, why are you paying for the extra? And it was like, yeah. Your boss is frugal, and he's, he's your mentor. He's, a, he, he's an interesting character. But he was right, too, because, look, when we sent Ellie to preschool, right, I remember being there. And uh, first first day, we're going to meet the teachers like, oh, so what are they going to learn? And she was like, oh, you know, they'll learn to recognize the letters, like what's the A, what's the B. She was like, because, you know, my daughter even, she knows her ABCs, but if I showed her the letter A, she would know what it was. I looked at Clarissa Roma, I was like, my kid knows all the letters. She knows what they look like. She knows what sound they make. She could, <laughs> it's like, so... The whole two years she was in preschool, she already knew everything before she ever started preschool. Ellie has known everything before her time in preschool and in kindergarten yeah. and elementary school and in first grade. Just I think it's because we homeschooled her. Like we did a yeah, lot of work at her. home. We did a lot of work. So at Olivia's home. like so mommy. Homeschool home me, mommy. I'm homeschooling that child. She's afraid of her daughter. I am not. She's that afraid of her daughter. Another, she's another creature. But I, she's afraid. <laughs> I've tasted freedom. With having both kids in school, <laughs> I'm not going back. <laughs> I'm not going back. It was fun while it lasted, but I I will say that there are lots of programs out there for people who you know have their kids in school. Um, I know Mama Demics, um, the website that I'm using right now, and she does a lot of um, Black history and American history. She's uh, she has some pretty cool curriculum, so check that out, MamaDemics.com. Um, I mean, there are lots of book lists. We do a lot of reading at home, and we just—I just recently did a blog post about um, the Underground Railroad. So, are you going to suggest any Umar Johnson books? <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, we saw Umar. I don't know. I don't know if you want to see Umar Johnson's video of him cussing out this other um, Hotep dude. It was ridiculous. It was pretty bad. Like, we watched him. We were like, how many N-words can fly out of this man's mouth? And he's supposed to be conscious and woke? It was horrible. Anyway. Yeah, he woke the nigga inside of him he up. He did. It's like, yeah. 
He had a nigga moment. That that, that was did, it. He did have a nigga moment. That, that was, was it. That was that was pretty interesting. Um, so no, I will not be giving her or teaching her any kind of Umar Johnson nonsense. Um, anyway, so you ain't gonna fund his school. I don't, I don't know. About he he building a school. I don't know about his school. <laughs> um, but before we close out, it's been a long one today. I think we were done here. We're gonna wrap it up. Um, Jeff Sessions got confirmed as the last thing I heard this week. So he's our new uh, attorney general. Uh, what do you think? Do you think uh, we're going to go backwards with him? Or do you think he's pretty much going to lay his lay low <laughs> and ride out the next four years? Listen, you know, I don't know what he'll do. I don't know how the Justice Department will work under him. I think even he himself will be cautious because no matter if what president you work for, I don't think he has the personality of someone who just wants to be ran over and told what to do. And so I think there will be some instances where you'll see some pushback against things the administration may suggest that he doesn't want to go through with. I mean, I think we'll have to see. The The one that's always bothered me, I, I keep saying this, I think, is that um, it's the House and the Senate. It's not Trump. It's not the people he's putting in. It's the House and the Senate. And one of the things, like, you know, could be potentially the most scary is with this whole immigration ban that happened, when they looked at the executive order, turns out Trump didn't read the entire order before he signed it. So the question is, who prepared it? And, you know, me and my boss were talking about this today is because his whole career, the people he's had surrounded himself with are people who were loyal and who always had his best interest at heart. So when they pre prepare a document for him, that he trusts them explicitly. It's not like that in Capitol Hill on Washington. So there was some stuff in that executive order that he didn't read, but he was assuming everyone did their job because I said I wanted this done and they did it right. Well, they didn't go through the right processes. They didn't get the legal reviews. They didn't dot all the I's and cross all the T's, and now he's gotten blowback. And so what I worry more about is some of the people helping him out while he doesn't have his staff and doesn't have everything filled, and also the Congress and what laws and ideas they want to put forth. Because one of the things I heard about today is that the Consumer Financial Protection Agency, that it's actually working really well, that they sued a lot of, um, like, the company um, Navient, the student loan company, which apparently was overcharging people um, interest rates on their student loans. They sued them. Even for us, when my mother purchased the house, she got her loan paperwork the day she sat down for closing. She'd never seen the terms before. It was a thick, like, 40-page document, hard to understand. When we bought a house, she got a HUD-1 form. We had it, like, two weeks in advance, there's specific things. Everything is easily laid out, is easy to read. You know what fees you're paying, what monies do. But that all came from the Consumer Financial Protection Agency saying, this is too difficult for consumers. Let's simplify this in a way that makes sense. Is that going to go away? They, <clears throat> you're talking about they want to gut it yeah. as part of Dodd-Frank. And that's Elizabeth Warren's baby. Yeah, and the best thing they ever did for them was making sure she wasn't confirmed. Her second in command was, but that was her baby. That was her dream of an agency to protect people from companies and financial institutions because the other government agencies that are in charge of financial regulations, they see the banking industry as customers. They're there to help them be successful, be profitable. 
they don't look out for the consumers and they're not a place where consumers can report fraud and things and they take action against those. So this is the only avenue. And when the Congress set them up, they made it so that it was not financed through the budget process so that future Congresses couldn't gut it. Okay. So what they want to do now is they want to change the funding source. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and they want to take out the head and make it like a board oh of elected officials or change or make it so Congress can review and veto certain regulations. So it's all like it's working too well. Let's, Let's kill it. it up. <laughs> <laughs> and then we can prove that government doesn't work. Yeah. Anyway, so let's wrap it up. It's Friday night. We're about to watch a movie. Mm-hmm. So, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the weekly rundown with Evans and Clarissa B. All right, y'all. See you next week. Peace.